0: Thank you for tuning in to the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this
1: week's sermon.
0: One of the things I love to do, especially on Saturday mornings as a kid, old uh, man you remember when cartoons were only like on saturday morning right and like the rest of the day was like old people shows and like <laughs> like, car, like cartoons is like all the time every day 24/7 now like man, i think my childhood is robbed now actually, i got a chance to play once in a while and make up my imaginary friends right but you know one of my favorite tv shows as a kid was mr rogers neighborhood how many of you guys seen mr rogers neighborhood you watched that right? I mean, I started watching his documentary. It was so boring. Watched it for like five minutes. I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm done. But but, uh, before every episode, Mr. Rogers would ask the question. What was the question? Won't you be my neighbor? Not only would he ask it, he would sing it. And just so you can get connected with your childhood again, let's sing it one more time. Watch the screens as we invite Mr. Rogers into the service. Mr. Rogers, we'd like to see you. Come on. Pastor Jonathan, I'm just trying to say, man, I think there was more singing in that song than there was in worship. I'm just just saying. But but do you ever wonder why that song was so popular for so many years that now even some of us in our 40s and beyond are still singing the song? There's something in human nature that loves the idea of having a good neighbor, right? Like... Like, we will choose the neighborhood that we live in according to the reputation of the neighbors around us. Like, you realize people will spend not tens and thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars just to be around the right neighbors. Because some of us have been around the wrong neighbors, and it's kind of awkward. Some neighbors are weird. You know, Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show did this thing where he asked people to hashtag my weird neighbor. And here are the things that some people tweeted. Maybe they tweeted about you. We'll find out. At Hartwell17 says this. My neighbor asked me if I smelled something funny the other night. I said no and he replied, good. <laughs> hey, You didn't see anything either, did you? Right? This one is from at Zina. I was taking a shower singing Believe by Cher. And at the chorus part... I heard my neighbor <laughs> sing it with me. Oh, like, awkward. Like, we're living in an apartment right now, and how many of you guys ever lived in an apartment and you got stories to tell of things that the walls have told you? Raise your hand. Like We're having an issue where there's even things that are smelling from up there, and we'll just leave it right now in our apartments. At chance, Carnahan said this. Our neighbor thought our Wi Fi was our last name, so they gave us Christmas cards addressed to the Lynxes family. (laughs) Love this. Hello, I'm Benito Lynxes. This is my wife, Jennifer Lynxes. This is my daughter, Wi Fi. Here's my dog, password 123. Right, Wi Fi? Like, man, wow. (laughs) Trying to be nice, right? And I love this. I think this is somebody in here. At Desiree underscore Stint said this, we threw our frisbee or ball over the fence by accident. If we ever threw our frisbee or ball over the fence by accident, we will get it back with a note attached saying,
1: I hate kids.
0: <laughs> wow. Not a place to raise kids. See, everybody wants to be around good neighbors, but Jesus wants us to be good neighbors. Jesus said this about us, that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world, that we are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That one of the opportunities and one of the things that God has called us to be as His church is good neighbors. How many of you guys want to be everything that God wants us to be? Let's pray and let's ask God to speak to us and challenge us. Lord, we're Your children and we want to be everything that You called us to be. And this morning, my God, would you challenge us, So, oh God? Would you speak to us through your word one more time how we can reflect who you are, my God? Amen. Jesus answered the question of what a good neighbor looks like in a story that we all know, a very popular story called the Good Samaritan. In the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus gives us a picture. He gives us the attitudes and the attributes of what a good neighbor is. The story is found in Luke chapter 10. And to truly understand what Jesus is trying to say, we must look at the conversation to let him to share into the story of the Good Samaritan. So turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 25, as we really dig into this parable. It says this, On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Oh Lord! Like, how many guys know one of the fun things about the Bible is just you know all these people tried to test Jesus and Jesus like mic dropped them all. He like chin checked him. He tried to come to Jesus. He's like Floyd, Money, Mayweather. Don't mess with me. Can't touch this, right, man? Like this guy should learn. And the disciples are like, oh, this ain't gonna end well for him. Like, you ever had that friend that somebody messes with? He's like, dude, don't mess with him. You don't know what you're getting into. This teacher of the law, he's wanting to know. He's trying to test Jesus, and he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And this question is a trap. He wants Jesus to say something like this. The law doesn't matter. All you have to do is accept me and you'll go to heaven. Because they want Jesus to be accused of blasphemy. But Jesus avoids this trap because he's so smooth. He can't mess with Jesus. He's Mr. Mic Drop. He invented the mic drop. And he avoids their trap by setting one of his own. It's never good to test Jesus. And I love how Jesus responds to tough questions. Verse 26, he says, yo, what is written in the law? He's always pushing his back on the other person. You're coming at me hard. What's written in the law? How do you read it, bro? Two ways to respond. You can go over 600 of the Old Testament laws one by one. Or another way to do is to summarize it the way that Moses did it. And the man, verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus said, do this and you will live. See, instead of pointing them to the law, Jesus points to the heart. If you would have simply put a set of boxes to check out or the behavior patterns, this man wanted a box to check and a task to accomplish. But when you see the fulfillment of the law as a hard issue, who can say, I've fully been devoted to Jesus my whole life and God my whole life. I fully love my neighbors. I put them above myself every single time. Who can say that? None of us can. But this man doesn't learn. It's like, many of you have read that? Just... Come on, stop there. Stop there. Why not this guy? Look, verse twenty. But he wanted to justify himself. You're like, dude, stop it. I could imagine Peter saying, oh, bro, please don't have him tell you one of those stories. Because when he gets into that story, you're not going to like what he says. I did that in forgiveness one time. And, oh, I'm never going to talk about forgiveness again. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The man feels the pressure. So he tries to avoid the question by asking, who's my neighbor? Is it my Facebook friends? Is it the people who follow me on Instagram? Are you talking about my neighbors in my neighborhood? He wants a checklist. And Jesus drops a story. Here it goes, verse 28. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. We talked about Jericho in the Joshua series. And and, uh, there's a stretch of road that was known to everybody that was hearing this. See, the road to Jerusalem, to Jericho, was steep and dangerous. It's not a good place for travelers. It had a lot of hills. It had a lot of caves. And there was a pass on this road that was known to everyone called the Pass of Blood because so many people got robbed and killed on that path. So when Jesus said there was this road, he's talking about the most sketchy road out there. He says, and when he was on this road to Jericho, he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, they went him, they 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 left him there half dead. And in this attitude of the robbers, we see the first attitude that people have towards others. Here's the first attitude. What your what's yours is mine and I'll take it. There are people that live like this all the time. We read the headlines and we see these scandalous activities, these crazy things. They exploit others. They abuse others for their pleasure and their desires. They take people's money. Sin and selfishness is at the root of this attitude. And sadly, it's part of the reason our culture is falling apart because there's a culture out there that says what's yours is mine and I'll take it. And there's people that are taking, taking, taking. And it causes culture. It causes our culture to be in ruin. But then the Bible says there's another attitude. Because it's in verse thirty one. A priest happened to be going down the same road. It's interesting. He calls a priest here a religious person, and when he saw the man, notice he passed on by the other side. And not only does he bring a priest in here, he talks about a Levite, the other religious person. This person was born with the with the. Obligation to lead God's people, to be part of the set set apart people that would lead God's people in prayer and praying and seeking God. And so, to a Levite, when he came to a place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. This was a Jewish man telling the story that was on the road, and the very people that were supposed to help you, the very people that were supposed to have your back, did not help you. Have you ever had a homie that you're in a difficult situation, and like these are, it's one of your ride or die boys, and man, when it was time, they Flew, and they weren't even by you they wouldn't even have your back and this is what's happening why would the religious leaders do this it's not that they were bad guys but when confronted with the need they avoided it and they kept on walking why why did they go to the other side because they're smart because the bible specifically tells us jesus said that man was still alive and if he was still alive this incident had just happened these people could be hiding out in caves. They could be exploiting them. It could be a trap. And if they would go down there to help this man, they could be hiding out in a cave. They could be in danger themselves. And who would they be? How would they even do that? Why would they put themselves in danger for a stranger that they've never met? And these two guys illustrate the second attitude we see when we see the needs of others and neighboring. This attitude is, this, what's mine is mine and I'll keep it. Most people live with this attitude. I'm just going to mind my own business. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm just going to grind. I'm just going to care. I'm not hurting anyone, but I'm not going to help anyone. You know, I'll help as long as I know them, and as long as they can help me, I'll help them. But hey, helping a stranger, it'll inconvenience me, it'll cost me, it's to risk me. Don't get me wrong, I want to help other people. I've heard Brandy Tuesday come up here and I've heard her share about the girls that she's rescuing in sex slavery all across the world. But man, you know what? I, I got a lot of bills. I got a lot of things. I got my own kids. Like, How can I inconvenience myself and give consistently to that? I, I'm not going to do that. That's asking a lot. I know there are troubled youth in our city that the Williamson County Juvenile Detention Center and Sammy's always saying they need mentors and leaders. But you know, I'm busy. I got my own kids there, and I got to take them to cheer and I got to take them to soccer and I got to take them to football. I got to do all these different things. Like, man. I know somebody should take time for them, but not me. Because this is what we say. Man, I'm in a season where it's just me. I got to take care of me, and this season's lasted for 35 years now, right? People with this attitude only give as long as it is convenient. As long as it doesn't cost them. And most people just live right here. They'll feel bad about it. They'll do about it. As long as I have a little extra money, as long as it doesn't change my lifestyle, as long as it doesn't change everything about me, I'll give out of convenience. What's mine is mine and I'll keep it. If I got a little extra time, if I got a little extra money, then, then I'll do it. But don't bother me. Don't get up all in my business. I'm, I ain't going to do that. I'm putting myself out for them. I don't even know them. But look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, That's hot-button word. This was a racially just explosive time. Let me tell a little bit about the historical context here. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jew, half-Gentile. They were idol worshipers. And and there was just this tension. And now Jesus is making a Samaritan part of the story. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own. Look at that, his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense You may have. And at this moment, that teacher of the law is like, What did this guy do? The Samaritan is the protagonist in this story, he is the hero. See, a Samaritan and a Jew, they would never help each other. They were mortal enemies, had a deep hatred towards one another. Yet the Samaritan in this story looks beyond the racial and religious barriers. He looks beyond all the barriers that were there in the culture, and he stops to help them. And remember the question that Jesus is answering through the story. The question is, what does it mean when God says, love your neighbor? And Jesus is saying this, I want you to meet the needs of people that don't believe like you, that don't act like you, that don't look like you, that don't vote like you. It'll inconvenience you. It'll cost you. It'll take up your time. It'll cost you sleepless nights. You know, those are the people that what it means, those are the people that are love. You know who that is? That is everybody. We don't get to pick and choose the people we hang out with. Because it's easy to love our friends, but loving someone who is different than us makes us feel uncomfortable. Like, see, if all your friends look like you, talk like you, are the same age like you, have all the same interests as you, you are not living out the gospel. One of the things that I say here at Freedom Church, and it's right out of the heart of God, every person matters to God. And if they matter to God, they must matter to us. It doesn't matter what ethnic background you come from. It doesn't matter what social economic background. It doesn't even matter what you believe. You matter to God because we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. Man, we need to be a church and we need to look around here. And the moment we stop looking like Walmart is the moment we start becoming a club. And we're no longer a church because Jesus died for all people of all places, of all backgrounds. Jesus loved everyone. Can I be real with you? It's uncomfortable. You can get in arguments because they don't vote like you vote. Nah, man. What are they thinking? It's all right. Get over it. Somebody's ever offended you? Let me help you. I'll take you to Home Depot, we'll buy a bridge, and we need to get over it. (laughs) Not everybody thinks like you think. Not everybody came from your background. Not everybody has your worldview. And let me tell you, it is absolutely okay. And I pray. Let me just pray right now. Lord, mighty God, do that in this church. Oh, Lord, make it a place of prayer for all nations from all over the world, from all over backgrounds, no matter where they came from. God, people that even make us feel uncomfortable, Lord, this is not about us. It's about you and your love. Oh, God, stir us. Ask him right now. Freedom Church, I just feel to pray. Lord, stir us, God, with love for people. Oh, say this. Raise your hand if you're brave enough. Inconvenience me for the needs of people. Raise your hand. Lord, inconvenience me. Call me to sacrifice. Amen. These are are dangerous prayers. I'm telling you, they're dangerous. See, the attitude of the Samaritan is the attitude that we need to have. What's mine is God's, and I'll share it. Freedom Church, nothing you have is yours. That intellect, the money, the nothing is yours. The drive you have, man, the success, God gave you everything. I promise you, one day you'll realize it's not you. You didn't make yourself, you didn't strap yourself out. God has given you everything. And he's called you to steward it. And to me, it's absolutely fascinating. in the strategy and the mind of Jesus in telling the story that Jesus puts two people in the story that were very religious and very moral and very respected, a priest and a Levite. And the job's... Of the priest and the Levite, if you look at the laws that Moses set up, they were to distribute money, they were to meet the needs of the poor, they were to care for those around them. But what Jesus is saying very plainly here, he's saying religion and morality can't give you this type of attitude. It can't make you love your neighbor, especially when it comes to the radical cost of helping others, even when your life might be in danger, when it's going to inconvenience you. Jesus is saying this, religion and morality can only take you so far. It might make you feel bad for a little bit. It might make you help a little bit. It might make you give out of your excess, but its actions are driven by guilt. We think I have so much, and the people in other countries, they have so little. My neighbors have so little. The neighbors over there, the people in the city there, they don't have so much, and they need me. So I'll help them, and we help them so we can feel better about ourselves because we feel better about ourselves when we give, but it's the wrong attitude. Let me ask you a question. Is anyone feeling guilty right now because you're not helping people like you should? you are stop stop it everything that God wants to do in your life this will set you free should never come from guilt if it's from guilt it's not God Jesus is not trying to make the teacher of the law feel guilty with this story the key to understanding this parable is where the teacher of the law is placed in the story and this is so profound watch it Jesus puts the Jew, he puts the Jew on the road, the religious teacher on the road in pain, in hurt, being exposed, and he puts the hated Samaritan on the saddle. Jesus asked the teacher, what if you were on the road? And your only hope of surviving was an act of free grace from your enemy. He didn't owe you mercy. He didn't owe you anything. But he gave you grace that you didn't deserve. Notice, Jesus doesn't tell the teacher to help the Samaritan. He doesn't say, that's not what we're supposed to do. He says, you, he's not giving him another to-do list. What Jesus is doing, He's pointing to His heart. Jesus doesn't give Him boxes to check or little duties to do. What Jesus doesn't give Him a to do, what He does is He gives Him the gospel. He says, what if you were saved from death by someone who owed you nothing but rejection? Only then would you get up and look at the world different and see everyone differently. Only then would you get rid of the religious attitude and the pride that makes you judgmental and look down on others. Jesus said, you can never live with this attitude. What's mine is God and I'll share until you've experienced the free act of grace yourself. This only comes from having an encounter with Jesus and experiencing the God gospel see being a good neighbor has nothing to do with a duty issue it has everything to do with a heart issue look at the text remember the question the religious leader asked who's my neighbor and look at how jesus changes that question at the end watch it verse 36 which of these do you think was a neighbor (laughs) oh that dude is so ticked off he had to go in and have a discussion with Jesus the expert of the law he he has to choke up his answer (laughs) he can't even say the word Samaritan You look at verse 37 the one who had mercy on him that's what he says he can't even say the word Samaritan And, and the real meaning of the parable comes out Jesus is the real Samaritan When we were dying on the road because of our sinful choice, he came and had compassion on us. Even though we were his enemies because of our sin, the Bible says we were in enmity with God. He rescued us. He bandaged us. He poured himself into us, his oil and the wine of his spirit. And it's not until you've experienced that type of grace that you will live out that type of grace towards others. And the big idea of this passage is this. If your gospel isn't touching others, it hasn't touched you. If the radical free grace of God that is changed and transformed, if if, if, if it is not explosive, if it is not flowing out, if it is not meeting needs, if it is not going to the broken and the hurting, you really don't understand the gospel is what he's saying. If you haven't experienced this type of grace and mercy and love, it's impossible to give it to others. And I love Jesus because Jesus doesn't give us all these things to do. He gives us a God to behold. He gives us a gospel to be amazed at. And it drives us and it changes the very core of who we are. And it causes us to do things that we could never do on our own and that religion could never do in us everywhere we go as Christians, we have the Spirit of God in us. We've been touched by grace and mercy and love. And Jesus is saying, whether we're in the job or at school or in our families, that the gospel should flow out of us. It's got to touch others if it's touched us. I want you to see a story of how somebody in our church was touched by the gospel and he was able to touch those closest to them. Watch the screens.
1: Hi, my name is Stacey Barbie, and this is my husband, Noel Barbie. Hey, and we've been going to Freedom Church for six years. For six years? Yeah. Yeah. And um, the beautiful Bailey family that's with us, we've known them for about 15 years. We're all originally from, or we're from Anchorage, Alaska, but yeah. we met in Anchorage, Alaska for many years. Um, we worked at a company called Alaska Communications. <laughs> um, last year, um, they decided to move to Central Texas um, and started to attend Freedom
2: Church. And I'm Lynn Bailey, and this is my husband, Tommy Bailey, and we've been going to Freedom Church for about 15 months now. And we moved to Round Rock about right after Christmas of last year, of of 2017. Uh, We originally came in the fall of 2017, and we visited the Barbies and got a feel for the area and decided that it was the place for us, and so we moved here at the end of 2017. They
1: moved here for the Rudy's Barbecue. Oh, gosh! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and in Alaska, we we didn't go to church. We didn't know God. We didn't talk about God in our family. I remember um, the first two weeks we started going to church. Um, Tommy, remember this? You're like, I asked Tommy, hey, let's do a devotional. And Tommy was like, what's a devotional? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, (laughs) I'm like, you know, the stuff you take for granted. Yeah,
2: It's been a warm, inviting welcome being a member of Freedom Church and our relationship with the Barbies helped um, the beginning of that. It helped us to feel comfortable walking through those doors of somewhere to people like us. It was very scary. It was very uncomfortable. It was not something that we were used to. Um, but they made us feel welcome. The whole church made us feel welcome. The services really hit home for us and pertained directly to our lives at the time.
1: Um, I've always looked up to Tommy, and uh, the large part why we're here is because the stuff he poured into me. And so it's kind of cool to see a full circle coming around where they're getting to know God more personally, they're going to church, and it's just fostered from relationships and just being kind to your neighbor, just getting to know your coworkers, getting to know the people across the street. Um, who would have thought 20, 15, 20 years ago um, we will all be in central Texas worshiping God together?
0: What an amazing story. Tommy and Lynn are with us right there. If you guys can wave, they're, man, they're amazing people. And we, we thank them so much because right now, as the church is getting ready to transition, we had some different. Uh, uh, IT needs that we needed and he has come to help us to what would take us months and months and months. He's done it in a moment. The guy's an IT genius. He's getting ready for planning center and different things and he's already giving back and Tommy we love you. We love Lynn. We love the Bailey's and we're so thankful. That's what Freedom Church exists so that people can know Jesus Christ like we have known Jesus. I want to close by getting real practical with you. I want you to notice three attributes we need to be a good neighbor in this Uh, parable. First thing we need is we're going to need a gospel-shaped heart. We're going to need open eyes and we're going to need helping hands. So according to Jesus, everything flows from number one, a gospel-shaped heart. Unless you realize Christ's heart for you, how much he loved you, how much he was broken for you, you will never love others and you will never have a heart for broken people around you. Your heart must be shaped by the gospel. Here's what we do as Christians. Christians, we're philanthropists. We get, what does a philanthropist do? They make billions here so they can give away millions here. And as Christians, we've experienced the love of God in such an amazing, incredible way. And when that happens, we can't help but give it away to others. If you have not experienced this love, you cannot be a good neighbor. See, unless you realize that Jesus was inconvenienced for you, unless you realize Jesus was sacrificed for you, you'll have a hard time to inconvenience yourself for others. You'll have a hard time sacrificing for others unless you realize that like Jennifer and I realized like when we planted this church, it was going to be a lot of sacrifice. We're going to have to change our lifestyle. We're going to have everything in our lives had to change. Why could we do that? Because we realized Jesus stepped out of heaven and walked into the earth and changed everything for him. And if Jesus did that, then maybe the way that we live needs to change everything for us, too. We when the gospel comes in your life, you just can't give God the leftovers. Unless you experience the full blessings of heaven, your ability to be a blessing will have limits on your conveniences. And Jesus says it all starts with your heart being changed by a free act of grace that was given to you. To fully be everything that God wants you to be, you need to have an encounter with God that shapes your heart with the gospel. If you've never had that, It happens in prayer. It happens in his presence. It's saying, God, I want to know you. It's reflecting on everything that God has. And this is something that's supernatural that only God can do. And here's what I do know, that if you're hungry for it and if you ask God for it, God will meet you and he will do that in your heart. Second thing that we need to do, we need a gospel-shaped heart. Second thing is we need open eyes. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And look at this. And he saw him. The Samaritan didn't see like the priest and the Levite who went the other way. He didn't see an inconvenience. What he saw was a hurting person. There are so many hurting people around us every day at work, at school, even at church this morning, and we need to ask our God to open our eyes so that we can see them because so many times we're so busy that we don't take time to see the needs in front of us. I want to share you a story about a man by the name of Kent Nurborn who opened his eyes and God did something significant in his life and it'll challenge you. He wrote this. 20 years ago, I drove a cab for a living. And one time I arrived in the middle of the night at a building to pick someone up. That was dark. The building was dark except for one single light on the ground floor window. Under these circumstances, many drivers would just sit outside, honk once or twice, wait a minute and drive away if nobody came out but I had seen too many impoverished people who depended on taxis as their only means of transportation. So unless the situation really smelt of danger, I would always go to the door. I would reason to myself, this passenger might be someone who needed my assistance. So I walked to the door and I knocked. And as I was knocking, I heard a frail elderly voice say, just a minute. I could hear something being dragged across the floor. And after a long pause, the door opened. And I saw a woman, in her, a woman in her 80s standing before me wearing a print dress and a hat with a veil pinned on it. She looked like something out of a 1940s movie. By her side was a small nylon suitcase. Her apartment looked like no one actually lived in it for years. The furniture was all covered with sheets. There were no clocks on the walls, no knickknacks. Everything was in cardboard boxes piled in the corner. She said to me, would you mind carrying my bag to the car? So I took the suitcase to the cab, and I returned to assist the elderly lady. She took me on; she took my arm, and we walked slowly to the curb. She kept thanking me over and over again for my kindness. I, I, I told her, it's nothing. I just treat my passengers the way I would want my mom to be treated. And she say, like, oh, you're such a good boy, she said. When we got into the cab, she gave me an address, and then she, she said, would you mind driving me? through downtown and I said well I don't mind but I'm not in a big hurry but it's not the shortest way indicating that this woman is going to cost her more a lot more if I go the long way she said I don't mind I'm on my way to hospice and I looked he opened his eyes in the rearview mirror and her eyes had tears in them she said I don't have any family left and my doctor says I don't have very long to live so I quickly reached over and shut off the meter. This is not somebody I needed to make money off of. This is somebody I needed to help. What route would you like me to take, I asked her. And for the next two hours, we drove around the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove to the neighborhood where her and her husband lived in their first house when they were newlyweds. She, helped me. she had me pull up to in in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a a ballroom where she had been dancing as a girl. And sometimes she would ask me just to slow down in front of a particular building, and she would ask me to stop, and we would just sit there and stare at the building and say absolutely nothing at all. The sun was coming down, and she said, I'm tired. We better go now. I drove in silence to the address she had given me. When I arrived at the building, they must have been expecting her because two men came out ready to help her into the building with a wheelchair. How much do I owe you? She said, I reached in. She reached into her purse and I said nothing. She said, no, you got to make a living. I must pay you something. He said, there are other passengers that I can make a living off of. Almost without thinking, I bent over and I gave her a huge hug. She held on to me so tightly she wouldn't let go. She said, you gave an old woman a little moment of joy one last time thank you. And she squeezed me. As we left, I squeezed her hand and I walked into the dim morning light. And I didn't go back to work that day. I drove aimlessly around, lost in thought for the rest of the day. What if that woman would have got an angry driver or one that was impatient to ready to end his shift? What if I refused to take the run? What if I only honked once or twice? And what if I never went to the door? And this is the part I absolutely love about this story. On a quick review. I don't think I have done anything more important in my entire life than that one single act. See, we are so conditioned to think our lives revolved around great moments, but great moments often catch us unaware, beautiful wrapped in what others consider a small one. Jesus said this, that the most important thing that you will ever do in your life is love God. And the second most important thing you will ever do more than make money, more than your career, more than anything else. The most important thing that you will ever do in this world is how you love your neighbor. Everything else will pass away. Your career will be gone. Your house will be gone. Your car will be gone. But Jesus said the way that we love our neighbors will make a difference in all eternity. And I think so many times we get caught up by these big spectacular things. But I think God gives us incredible opportunities in front of us every day to do simple things that will make a big difference. Things like smiling. Things like taking time to say hello. Things like saying, how are you? And actually listening. Things like asking, how is your day? See, it's so easy, right? I'm guilty of this myself. teaching a class right now, and one of the things we're doing is we're keeping each other accountable for how we share our faith and everything that we do. But do you realize, I'm so busy just going here and going there and going there that I don't even take time to open my eyes. I'm guilty of this. And it's not until we actually take it because we got so much to do. We have so many important things to do. when the most important thing is all around us. Just saying to somebody, I like your hair. Can I pray for you? Go into the restaurant and say, you "No, know, we have a wife are about to pray for right now. Can we pray for you asking the waitress? Just simple things. To be a good neighbor means that we need to have a gospel-shaped heart and open eyes. And 30, because when you have a gospel-shaped heart and open eyes, it will lead you to have helping hands. Look at verse 33. Not only did the Samaritan see him, but he saw him, watch this, and he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he put a, the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and he took care of him. See, indifference makes an excuse, but the gospel always makes a difference. The gospel-shaped heart will open your eyes and you won't just see the hurting. It'll cause you to extend a hand. It always, the, the gospel-shaped heart doesn't just walk by, it stops. See, so many times we focus on following the steps of Jesus. I think sometimes we sometimes need to just focus on the stops of Jesus. What caused Jesus to stop and take notice? In the first century, there's an emperor by the name of Julian who was upset that Christianity was spreading and growing and paganism was shrinking. And he wrote this in a letter to a friend in an ancient document. Do you know why the religion of the Greeks does not prosper? We do not observe how the charity of the Christians to strangers has done the most to advance their cause. It is disgraceful that these Christians support our poor in addition to their own while everyone can see that our co-religionists lack aid from us, what he's saying is that Christians help others generously. They aren't stingy with their good deeds. They do amazing things, that they're different. There is something about Christians that is so contagious, that is so amazing, that they're just so different. And my question to you this morning is this. Could it be said of you that you're a good neighbor? Growing up in a small town, You always remember your neighbors. You always remember everybody. You always remember the town drunk because every town has a town drunk. In my town, his name was Wayne. Every night, you would be sure to see him wobbling through the street about to get run over. He was dirty, had the strongest stench of alcohol I'd ever smelled with all kinds of other uh, stenches around him. It was hard to be around him for long periods without gagging. See, we all know the town drunk's name, but do we get time... Take time to know his story. Do we get time? Do we take time to know him? See, Wayne had no place to live. He spent all his money on liquor. See, and my grandpa, who was an incredible example to me, would invite Wayne over to his house. He would let Wayne use his bathroom and his towels and take a shower and he'd get cleaned up. See, my grandpa loved Wayne. You know why? God opened his eyes to get to know him. He found out about Wayne's story. Wayne was an orphan. He grew up at five years old. He was on the streets with nobody to care for him. Nobody ever loved Wayne. All he knew was alcohol, and he would drown his sorrows in liquor. So my grandpa would care for him. You know why? Because my grandpa grew up an orphan too. He knew what it was to be lonely and hungry. He knew what it was to have no family. And one of the things that my grandpa was the most proud of, he said, which means my son, do my name proud. Be a He would say. He was so proud that his name and his family would live on forever. And every Christmas and Thanksgiving, Wayne would come over to Grandpa's house for family dinner. He was part of the family. Grandpa would use his resources that he had, his little resources that he would have. He'd give him extra jobs. He'd have him clean the garden and help him in his thing. And Grandpa loved Wayne so much, he had a little extra trailer. And he put it on his property and he let Wayne stay there because he could not handle the fact that Wayne would be with no place to lay his head grandpa was an incredible example of who jesus was the way he cared for his wife the way he cared for people several years ago my grandpa passed away i went back home to speak at his funeral it's amazing the biggest church in town everybody was there it was packed up i can close my eyes and see the people just lying to even the walls remember The judge of the city was there, city council members were there, pastors that weren't even his pastors who were there. But the person that caught my attention who was there was sitting in the front row with the family, cleaned up, and for the first time sober with his head down, crying uncontrollably. You know who it was? Wayne. Wayne was weeping because he knew that my grandpa had loved him and cared for him and invited him to be part of the family. See, Grandpa's helping hands and loving heart had an impact on Wayne, and I thought to myself, you know, one day I'm going to die. I said, I wonder who's going to be at my funeral. I wonder who'll be there. See, when you were born, you cried and everybody was happy. But when you die, will everybody cry because of the impact and the, the life that you lived, and will you be happy that your life made a difference? See, notice in verse 35, the Samaritan tells the innkeeper, look at this. He says, Look after him. He said, When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. See, I want you to notice he's committed to him for the long haul. This is not just a handout. This is not just a box to check. This is a relationship. I'm coming back. See, people are not projects, they are people that we love, that are created in the image of God, that we are to love and care for. So, my question to you this morning is what is God calling you to do? What is He stirring in your heart? Who is He calling you to serve with your time and your talent and your resources? Maybe He's calling you to foster, adopt a kid, and give them a family. Maybe He's calling you to mentor a kid in the Williamson County Juvenile Detention Center or one of the families right this week this thursday we're going to meet with judge larson and family first sonia and samantha and myself and we're going to talk about how we can mentor some of the families in the juvenile detention center that are going through that maybe god's calling you to mentor one of those families maybe he's calling you to reach out to a neighbor it starts this this sunday we have an opportunity to love on our new neighbors man god there's 770 four homes i think in that area wednesday i got a chance to meet with the greg and katie and some of our city leaders met some of our new neighbors and they're so excited that we're going to be there what an opportunity that we have hey we are not just building a building we have come here not just to sing songs we're not here just to preach a sermon we are the hands and feet of jesus and we're here to love you and care for you and tell you that you matter to god we are the church we're alive what if we do that Let me challenge you. Next week, when you're there, open your eyes. extend a helping hand. And I'm not saying you might share the gospel, but maybe God might put somebody in your heart and you pray for them for the next year, the next two years. See the needs. Who knows? Our neighborhood isn't a project. The city isn't a project. There are people that we love. And this week, I want you to challenge, challenge you to pray this prayer. Say, God, open my hands and help me to extend. Open my eyes and help me to extend my hands to people in need. Just simple, simple things. Just, meant just, if we just do one or two, three things a day, it'll change the way we live. Just one or two, three. Somebody, hello. Listen to their needs. Offer to watch somebody's of these kids when they go on a date. I know that's a little bit difficult. But some kids are crazy. Offer to help a neighbor with a project that they're working on. Offer a coworker who seems overwhelmed while they're struggling at work. Walk into Starbucks, pay for the person behind you. Help God loves you, and invite them to church. Simple acts. So this week, would you open your eyes and would you say, "This week I'm going to do, you stand in my helping hands three times every day this week." Who makes them say that? We say, Benito, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'll take that challenge three times every day. That's not and sometimes more than that, but that's kind of helpful. Someone who would buy your head." Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.